doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. Welcome to Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. As Minute 74 begins, Laurie steps into the Wallace house. But I want to talk a little broader first. I got a copy of Adam Rockoff's Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film 1978-1986 to for Christmas, and noted some interesting bits related to Halloween. Since I love IMDb goofs, I'm going to begin with a uh, Rockoff goof. Like many a confused Halloween fan, Rockoff says Halloween was filmed, quote, mostly in Pasadena, California, end quote. The only scene of Halloween filmed in Pasadena is the girls walking on Highland, minutes 21 to 24. The block where speed kills happens. It amounts to less than three minutes of the film. A good portion of the film was filmed in South Pasadena, which is its own city. But between the scene and City of Industry, minutes 19 through 20, the Hollywood Reservoir bits, minutes 8 through 12, the Sierra Madre scene, minutes 30 to 31, and all of the Hollywood scenes, which is virtually everything since minute 36, even South Pasadena wouldn't get a mostly. But I'm picking on the guy rather than focusing on the good stuff he has to say. For example, he calls the teenage characters in the film, quote, surprisingly likable for a slasher film, end quote. And I think of Scott from Friday the 13th Part 2, Ted, Friday the 13th Final Chapter, numerous characters in A New Beginning, Melissa or David in The New Blood, Tamara in Jason Takes Manhattan. But why focus just on Friday the 13th? You've got Kelly in Halloween 4. Some people don't like Tina in 5, but I think she's great. Cameron in the latest Halloween film. Looking back at the descriptions just for the films of these two franchises just now, it occurs to me that the Halloween series, mostly because it leans almost constantly away from being a slasher film with a bunch of expendable supporting characters, has a lot more likable characters throughout. Or a lot fewer unlikable ones, anyway. Here in the original Halloween, for example, we don't have any inkling that Bob is at all disloyal to Linda. That Paul isn't waiting patiently at home right now, wondering when Annie will get there. Side note, that whole cheating Cameron thing in the latest Halloween is just one more example of the way Hollywood tells stories today that, if you watch a lot of movies, can get tiring. Every major character has to be in the middle of some crisis, because... Events have to be explicitly life-changing and empowering rather than implicitly life-changing. I ask you, what does Cameron cheating on Allison in the latest Halloween add to the plot, or really to the character, that is lost by this original film occurring on what is really just any other day for these girls? Lori isn't on the verge of escaping the small town because she's dealing with the recent death of her mother, for example. Two details in the setup for one of my favorite films this past year, Anna and the Apocalypse, that end up being entirely superfluous to the plot. Annie isn't thinking about dropping out of med school. Linda isn't toying with quitting cheer. Never mind the teens, Loomis and Brackett aren't on the verge of retirement as this one big event happens. But enough about that. I already ranted about that Hollywood tendency over at my other show, Dave Made a Minute, Minute 38. Both the Halloween and Friday the 13th franchises have a lot of unlikable adult characters, of course, which fits the slasher tropes. Adults should be ineffectual at best and actively get in the way of the teen protagonists at worst in the slasher film. 
As Pat Gill describes it in The Monstrous Years, Teens, Slasher Films, and the Family, Journal of Film and Video, Winter 2002, quote, Slasher films show teenagers in peril with no hope of help from their parents. Mostly, these parents are generally too busy or too involved in their own problems or pleasures to help. Even caring, concerned parents are impotent. Often they are hapless and distracted, unaware of their children's problems, and likely to dismiss or discount their warnings and fears. Indeed, parents like these need guarding, and children frequently find themselves in the stressful adult role of protector. What is striking about most of these films is the notable uselessness of parents, their absence physically and emotionally from their children's lives. Teens must deal with the extraordinarily resilient monsters on their own. End quote. Dr. Loomis is not specifically a parent, in canon anyway, but if not for him later in this film, would Laurie survive? Still, he is proven effectively impotent immediately after saving her when Michael disappears from the lawn. I said I would be talking about going to pieces, and I'm quoting Gill instead, and I haven't even gotten into minute 74. Moving on. Interior, Wallace Kitchen. The kitchen is dark. Lori stands there a moment, staring into the blackness. Lori, Annie? No answer. Lori, Linda? Bob? In the script says no one answers. Lori searches for the wall light. She flips it and nothing happens. She looks again into the darkness. Lori looks at the door from whence Michael came to kill Bob back in minute 66. She reaches to open it, but second 25, a noise off-screen distracts her. But here I am, noticing that on the wall, the Wallaces have an intercom. Also, as Lori says, All right, Annie, and walks through the kitchen past the camera, we get a better look at the thing that I think a lot of people identify as the boom mic during Bob's death scene, minute 65 to 66. The Wallaces have track lighting on the ceiling. Second 38, Lori walks into the living room. In the script, she stops to let her eyes get accustomed to the almost total darkness. She reaches for a nearby lamp and trips over the cord. The lamp clunks to the floor. Second 40, she rushes around the corner to surprise the friends she assumes are waiting to scare her. And it's IMDb goof time. At around 1 hour and 14 minutes. When Lori goes into the living room of the Wallace house, you can see the arm of a crew member protruding from the left wall. No. At best, this person is seeing Lori's shadow on the wall to the left. In the script, Lori says, shit. And suddenly there's a crashing sound from upstairs. Lori spins around and stares up the dark staircase. Another squeak from above. Lori smiles. Lori. All right, meatheads. Joke is over. Silence. And the minute ends. That is all for Minute 74. I'll get back to Rock Off in a later minute. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk me on Twitter and Facebook, at Myers Minute, or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a nice review if you like what you hear. Until next time. See you later. Bye.